Hello and welcome to the Spiritualist Academy podcast episode 5. This time what we'll do is we'll talk about what it's like being in hospital whilst being a medium. Okay so first of all I suppose I should really say why I've been in hospital uh, quite so many times. Uh, I suppose it would all start with um, back troubles. Uh, I've had a lot of back troubles and um, a lot of heart issues as well with clogged arteries and things like that and I've also had a couple of heart attacks including one that uh, in May this year. So yeah that was all fun wasn't it yeah uh, well luckily obviously I've survived both of them both minor heart attacks so I managed to pull through uh, have a few stents and um, yeah come out on the other side really I now have 16 stents in my heart now if you don't know what they are that is where they put basically a tube or a catheter up through your veins, through your arteries, either through your wrist or through your groin, up into the heart. They then inflate a little balloon in the blocked section of your artery to unblock it. And then they slide in a, um, a titanium tube, which is like a wire mesh. And uh, they inflate a balloon inside it and the mesh basically locks into place, keeping the artery open. And as it stands at this point in time, and it is now November 2021, I currently have 16 of those within my heart. A couple of years ago, just before COVID, I was actually told that I have um, quite a lot of heart issues and it's very dangerous. And a cardiac nurse at just before I went to see the cardiac consultant said to me, you must have a bypass. She said, if you do not have this bypass, you will, you know, there will be nothing else for us to do. And you will basically end up with heart failure. And, um, and I said, well, and die. And she just gave me a look as if to say, well, yeah. So then I went to see the consultant and Mr. Consultant then, um, informed me that he had spoken to many other of his colleagues and the consensus was that I had too many stents in my heart. Now, at that time, it was, let me think back, I think that was eight stents at the time. At the time, no, it was 11 at the time, yeah. And um, it had come back that I had so I had too many stents and there was no room for them to graft uh, onto my arteries in, in, in my heart. So I therefore could not have a bypass. He actually said to me that I was a perfect candidate to die on the table. And this is what a cardiac surgeon said to me, the consultant. After what the nurse had just told me, I basically just took it as, well, that's it then. You know, nothing more they can do for me. I'm pretty much going to die. And I, and I, being a spiritualist, I I just accepted it. It's like, fine. I then started um, writing my own obituary. Because when I told my wife, uh, <laughs> she actually said to me, well, I wouldn't know what to do. She said, I, w I don't know what, what you want for a funeral. I don't know what you want for anything. She said, um, can you plan it all? So I said, well, yeah. I said, I could even write my own obituary if you want. So um, I started to do that. I started to write it all. And my plan was to record it so then they could play it at the funeral. Uh, and I said to her, I don't care what happens to my body. You know, being a spiritualist, it, it's nothing. It's just a vessel. And it's clearly a vessel that I've completely messed up. So um 
you know, I said, I don't care whether you burn it. I don't care what you do with the ashes, you know, just chuck them in the bin, whatever. Um, I'm not worried. So, yeah, then time went on and I then received a letter saying uh, that uh, the cardiac people wanted to see me. They want to look into stenting again. So further stents. I just thought, well, this is a bit silly because I've already told me there's nothing they can do. So I went along and the plan was to give me a couple more stents. And then COVID struck. And suddenly I heard nothing from them for a very, very long time. Apart from, I'm very sorry, but you are on the list. But um, as things are, we're currently, you know, we're understaffed and uh, we're putting everyone off as far as we can. And they then told me that I was not a priority because obviously it wasn't an emergency and and things like this. Uh, Until uh, earlier this year, I had a heart attack. So, yeah, that was all good. I was at home. I had this... Obviously, I've been getting a lot of angina pain for the year, you know, a few years anyway, all the way back from, you know, back then, uh, when I, before I saw the consultants, that's why I went to see them. And um, anyway, this angina pain felt just like indigestion. And the thing is, when I had my original heart attack back in 2005, I was 25 at the time back then, by the way, uh, it felt like indigestion. It just kept getting worse. So in the end, I actually called my father-in-law and asked him if he would drive me to the um, A&E, the accident emergency. Uh, I know uh, the people listening in America would call it the ER, uh, the emergency room. So he did that. He was actually drunk at the time, but um, he drove me anyway. He can get away with saying this because he actually passed away a number of years ago. So yeah, this time around, this indigestion was sort of in the chest, over my, well, slightly to the left of my left, um, I mean, I would call it a boob, uh, you might want to call it a breast or a bosom, you know, it was between my left breast and my armpit, and it was just there, and it just kept hurting, which is a really weird place, because all the other angina I've ever had has always been very central to my chest, very, you know, right in the middle, but this one was very much to the left, so I thought, well, it can't be the heart, surely. So, um, you know, this indigestion just kept getting worse and worse. And I kept trying to make myself um, belch. And that did seem to help for some reason. And in the end, I tried my um, my pump because you get this little spray that you spray under the tongue to open up the pores to the heart. And I thought, if this helps, then it's a heart problem. If this doesn't help, then it's just indigestion and um, I'll go and take something for it. So I took my spray and it started to help. And I just went, oh, so I just sat still for quite a while, thinking, right, this angina will go away, it will go away. Sitting there watching telly with my wife, actually, at the time, and um, it didn't get any better. And then it's really weird, because you get this sudden feeling of dread. Can't explain it, it just comes over you. You know, it's almost as if spirit or or something internal within your mind, your subconscious maybe, just suddenly goes, you're in danger. And that was it. I just thought, okay... And I just said to my wife, um, I, th- I think you'd better take me to A&E. And she just went, what, really? I went, yeah. And she goes, I need to get petrol. I'm nearly out of petrol. And I went, that's fine. We'll just go and get it on the way. But I think we need to go. So I got my shoes on, went out to the car. We drove to the petrol station. She got her petrol. She took me down to A&E and I just went in there and I said, I think I've got angina. I think I'm having a heart attack. Uh, it feels like indigestion, but that's what it felt like when I had a heart attack before. And they, they just kind of fobbed me off. They were just like, oh, no, that's fine. No, I'm sure it's just indigestion. Then this doctor took me aside into into this little side room and he did an ECG. Uh, well, actually, a nurse did the ECG before we got there. He looked at the ECG. It was fine. Absolutely fine. Now, um, what they don't seem to take into consideration is for a number of years, I've been on a lot of heart 
tablets, a lot of heart medication. And for some reason, that doesn't make things um, show up on a on an ECG because your your heart still looks like it's pumping away perfectly fine, whereas in the background you're actually in quite a lot of distress. Uh, but your heart doesn't show it, which is really odd, really odd. So anyway, he was just saying to me, oh, I'm just sure it's indigestion. I'll, I'll prescribe you something, some indigestion tablets, and we'll send you on your way. And I just went, now, are you, <laughs> something in me just said, are you absolutely sure? I said, with my history of heart problems, and this felt feels very similar to when I had a heart attack before. And when I said that, he then looked shocked, almost as if he hadn't looked at any of my notes, none of my records. And he, you know, it's almost like, well, he's had a heart attack in the past. So he then, I saw him on the computer frantically typing away. And then he just looked at me and he goes, um, I think we'll better get you checked out. So <laughs> I thought that's what I was doing. So he sent me back out into the waiting room. And at that point, things got worse. My The pain in my, to the left of my chest started to get a lot worse. And uh, then I was called in for a blood test because when you have a heart attack, these um, ketones show up. And uh, a friend of mine looked it up and I think it's um, ketones of over 30 uh, basically means that you've had a heart attack. Uh, but it takes a couple of hours for them to show up in, in your bloodstream. Now, they took these, this blood test and he come back and he said, now your ketones are actually showing, oh, I can't really remember. It might have been 26, something along the lines of that. Uh, I think it might have been 26 thinking about it now. And uh, so, so I said to them, OK, then. So it probably wasn't a heart attack. And they said, well, you know, when did this start? And I said, you know, maybe an hour ago. And I said, but uh, it got worse a little a little while ago, maybe a quarter of an hour ago. They said, okay, then we'll keep you here another couple of minutes and we'll do another test. Uh, well, not another minute, another couple of hours and we'll do another test. So they kept me there another, I think it was three hours. They did another test. And remember, the, the reading should be 30 to, for it to be a heart attack. And my comeback is, I think it was 58 something like that and at that point things started to happen quite quickly they they got me a bed they got me a ward they got uh, me just about everything I could have ever wanted uh, but right up until that point it's as if they expected it just to be indigestion a bit later on someone from the cardio the cardiac rehab team so the um, cardiac rehabilitation team they're the ones that normally train you on uh, heart health and um, exercise, medication, things like this. After, after you've had a heart procedure, they normally, um, you know, pretty much take, you know, put you in like a school. You know, so you get like a two hour lesson every week uh, with a bit of exercising as well to rebuild your heart muscle. It's actually a really good program and the staff are fantastic. But um, she come along to me and uh, she knew me from the past because uh, I've had a few heart issues, obviously. And um, she said, has anyone actually told you that uh, it is a heart attack that you had? And she she was looking at me for my reaction as if to say he's he's, um, you know, he's going to flip out. And I just looked at her and I just said, at this point, it'd be bloody weird if it wasn't. And, and then you just saw her shoulders relax. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, I knew I knew as soon as they said that it, the reading was 58, I knew anyway. So that was fine. But yeah, I don't really know what I'm talking about this. Anyway, I'll continue. This time round, what they did was they um, put in another load of stents, making my stent count up to 16. Uh, they also, to actually unblock one of my arteries because it was so fully calcified, uh, they had to actually use a laser to unblock the um, a stent that was actually blocked up. So they actually had to laser around it. And then what they also did was use some sort of shockwave 
thing. And that was quite a weird sensation, I tell you, because you're awake for the entire thing. Uh, you can even watch it up on the screen if you want to. But they actually used this shockwave thing, which made my entire body vibrate. Uh, it was. It, I suppose it, it must feel a bit like having an electric toothbrush inside your chest, but quite powerful. Maybe like a jackhammer, I suppose. And you can you can hear it from inside your body, and that's the weird part. Uh, it all seemed to work quite well. Uh, I've seemed to have recovered. I have no angina anymore. Uh, so now I've just got to sort out the rest of my body. But my heart so far, touch wood, uh, seems to be okay. So yeah, I can stop talking about that now and get on to some other things. Like what it's actually like to be a spiritualist uh, when you're in hospital. I'm just thinking about the first time I had um, some stents put in with my heart. That was back in 2003. And what they did then was they went through the groin. But back in 2003, they didn't have what's called an angioseal or a, a plug. So after they go in, they do the rodding, they uh, put the stents in. And when they come back out, they basically have an open artery. So obviously the blood would just spill out of my groin area. And when I say groin, it's not your private parts. It's slightly to the right. They're going through the right for some reason. They can go in through the left, but through the right. It's pretty much um, inner thigh, I would say, uh, but very much at the top. And what they have to do is basically, well, back then, was hold it very, very tightly um, for hours. Pretty much for hours. You have to lay flat. And I had a nurse pretty much bearing down on me for hours. Because, I'm going to say because I'm on these blood thinning tablets, it was a lot harder for it to congeal and seal the wound. Now this lady, she was really pressing down her entire weight on my groin and it was excruciating. And I tell you, I just had to lay there and take it. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't stop her because that would pretty much make me bleed out. So what I did, because she was just saying to me, you know, be calm, be calm, be calm. And I was like, oh my God, oh, it really hurts. Oh, you know, like this. And then I thought, hang on, I can meditate. I can actually take myself out of my body because back then I you know I'd sit in circle and and I've always done these things anyway growing up I, and I thought you know I could take myself out of my body so I, I imagine you know back now I suppose it's um, a sort of astral projection or um, something along those lines so I in pain I took myself to a very calm place and it's almost as if I just took a sidestep. So I was still with my body, still fully aware of what was going on. But I decided I would not feel the pain. So I, I took my sidestep away from my body and I left the pain over there. And to me, I, I was slightly to the right of myself. So I could still see this um, nurse lady. And it, you know, it wasn't through my eyes because my eyes were shut. But I could still see everything that was going on. I wouldn't say it was an outer body experience, but I suppose in a way it is. It certainly isn't a near-death experience, but it, I suppose it is an outer body experience. It's quite odd, really, isn't it? Although technically, I'm still in my body. I just decided to take a break, step out. And at that point, I remember just not feeling the pain. And I was absolutely fine, absolutely calm. I was still in control of my body as well, because obviously... I was. I just moved my mind away. Nothing else. And um, I think the nurse got worried. <laughs> I, rem I remember the nurse. Um, she was pressing down, pressing down. And she just said, are you okay? Are you okay? <laughs> she obviously thought I'd passed out or something. Or, or I'd um, you know, just instantaneously died. Uh, because I'd gone from writhing around in pain to just sudden calm. 
And I just said, I'm absolutely fine. I said, um, I'm a spiritualist. I meditate quite a lot. And I've just decided not to feel the pain anymore. And she just went, does that really work? And I just went, I feel fine right now. So, yeah. And um, I remember afterwards she come back to me and she, she was just full of questions full of questions she goes i've heard about this and i've read in um, magazines and things about people having operations just through meditation and no pain relief and and i just said to her those people are pretty much nuts i said i did it because i had zero choice i had no choice no matter how many painkillers you give me i would have still felt it and i still need to be um you know, with it, compass mentis, whatever you want to call it. So I just said to her, I had no other choice but to remain calm. So I decided to meditate and take myself away from the pain. But I would never do this by choice. If there was a choice, I would have had the drugs. You can pretty much trust them. That's what they're for. I said, I had no choice. Therefore, I did this. You know, there's not really much more to say about that. But yeah, it's um, interesting. Now, another um, interesting time I had when I was in hospital. Actually, I suppose I should really go back to um, 2007 when my back went. Now, that was not fun. Yeah, that was not fun at all. Uh, I got up in the middle of the night. I uh, went to have a wee. I went and had a wee on my way back to the bedroom. And, and I mean, literally the toilet door, the bathroom door was opposite my bedroom door where I lived then. I walked out of the bathroom, started to walk through the, I don't know, maybe metre and a half gap to my bedroom door. And my back just went, when I, you know, I just clicked in front of the microphone then. But there was no noise, just suddenly I couldn't move. <laughs> and it was as if someone pressed pause. I just could not move. And I was in excruciating pain as soon as I tried to move. Even if I tried to move anything, you know, my head, my arm, anything. I just stood there in the doorway and I just started screaming to my wife, um, who was just inside the door in the bed, because that was her side of the bed. And um, she come out, you know, we didn't know what to do. So she ended up helping me to the bed uh, and it killed. It absolutely, it, the pain, unbelievable, unbelievable pain. Uh, I managed to get into bed. I couldn't sit up. It hurt me to lay down, hurt me to stand up, hurt me to breathe. Uh, and... Anyway, I ended up in bed, laying on my back. Uh, I remember we took the pillows away because that, for some reason, helped. And it hurt every in-breath, really hurt. Every single one, really, really hurt. And um, I just, I stayed like that. And then when the morning came, we, I said to her, you know, we've got to do something. So she phoned a chiropractor, um, out as well, as an emergency. So this chiropractor guy, he turned up. And uh, he had uh, one of those weird exercise ball things and he got me to, I can't even remember what it was, whether I, I leant backwards on it or rolled forwards on it, I cannot remember. I, I suppose I, I'd had too many painkillers at that point, I don't know. But um, he got me to a point where I could breathe and I could breathe without pain and that was great but I still couldn't really move. Um, any sort of movement really, really hurt and it was ridiculous. The pain, oh my God. Nearly that entire time, I had to meditate just to get through the day, really. It, it was so bad. Uh, we ended up getting the doctor out as well, obviously. And they gave me morphine, um, some Oromorph, so it's liquid morphine. I just ended up swigging it. I wasn't measuring it. I was just swigging it out of the bottle and pretty much just taking shots of this stuff in the end. And so I, I would slightly OD every now and then. But to be honest with you, I, I didn't care at the time. See, that's the weird thing about morphine. It does not help with pain. 
It doesn't do a thing. It doesn't help at all. What it does, it just makes you a bit mental so that you don't care that you're feeling this pain because your brain's not really working properly. And I I know that um, one of the funniest things that my wife tells me about this time was um, she come in and asked me what I wanted for, for lunch. And um, apparently I asked her for robot chicken nuggets. Uh, and she said that I even stated that I don't want normal chicken nuggets. They must be robot ones. <laughs> And by the way, this is not a thing. This isn't a thing over here in England. So um, she went and got me cheese crackers, which funnily enough was what I wanted. Um, Because all the time when I was in bed, that's what I would have. I was having cheese crackers. But it's just at that point, she went and got me these cheese crackers. I was fine with it. And I didn't even know about the robot chicken nuggets until afterwards. She told me about it when I got my brain back a little bit. So that was fun. (laughs) But I love that. Robot chicken nuggets. So yeah, again, meditation did help me. Control of my mind, control of my senses helped me. And I can't imagine what I would have done if I hadn't been used to meditation, you know, going along to circle, controlling altered states of consciousness and and controlling how I use my own mind and how I control my states, my mental states. So even though I was on morphine and things, I could still do that. I, I suppose in the end it would have been like a reflex because that was where I was not in pain. So I suppose it'd be like Pavlovian thing, you know. I'm not in pain doing that, so I'll keep doing it. And um, yeah. Anyway, that was a nasty time in my life. I ended up spending over three months, nearly four months in hospital. Had spinal operation. They chipped some bit out of my back. They scraped out some disc, or two of them actually. And um, then I had to learn to walk again. So yeah, that was fun. Um, yeah, before the operation, I had four, and I and I mean this, I'm not exaggerating, four separate doctors, uh, with at least two of them being surgeons, come up to me and um, just double check. They said, you sure you want to have this operation? They said, um, there's an 80% chance that you'll be left incontinent. And there is a, I think they said, you know, around a 60% chance that I would never walk again. And every single one of them wanted to make sure that I was fine with that. And I just said to them, I can't stay like this. I said, if I spend the rest of my life in a wheelchair, that's better than this. Because right now, all I can do is lay in bed. And that was a horrible time in my life. Because even basic bodily functions, you know, um, I don't want to be vulgar, but having a number two would be me and five nurses. That's all I'm going to say about that. Five nurses. Never men either. They were always pretty. That was the worst thing. Um, yeah, I do like a nurse, I've got to say, but five pretty nurses sorting you out. Um, yeah, awful, awful time of my life that was. But learning to walk again, proving those doctors wrong, I could get through it. I'm not incontinent. I'd say I'm 85% normal where that's concerned. (laughs) In other words, if I need the toilet, I really should go to the toilet. Don't even try and hold it in, you know, just go. Um, but... I don't know why I'm telling you that. But as for walking, a lot of them were really worried, really worried. And um, I did have nerve damage. I still have nerve damage, actually. And I had a foot drop. So my right foot would basically drop down. So I had to have a brace for three to four years in my shoe just to keep my foot at the right angle so I could walk without falling over. But um, I was walking within two weeks. Actually, within the first week, I was up and, and walking around with a Zimmer frame. Actually, that was just within a few days. I, I had a Zimmer frame and, and uh, was walking around my bed. And they kept telling me I was doing too much. 
and then the, it only took a couple more days before I then went on to two crutches and I was moving around with crutches. And then when I went home, wasn't too far along after that. Obviously, I was having physio and everything every day, trying to teach me how to walk and navigate stairs, and then teaching me stairs with crutches and all that sort of fun stuff. Within two weeks, I, I was walking a mile each day, actually two miles each day, a mile there, a mile back from my house. And considering at the time I was on a first floor flat with no lift, so I was going up and down those stairs as well. And I was doing that every day unaided so no crutches i would actually have them with me just in case but i was carrying them i was just carrying these crutches with me and uh yeah so two weeks to relearn to walk from the operation and the doctors were amazed they they, they kept telling me that it was a miracle and again I, you know i put down the the power of healing there i know i had a lot of people sending me a lot of healing at that point um i was doing a lot of self-healing as well but also i i was Doing the, the normal human physical stuff, you know, I wasn't just relying on the healing, I was exercising as much as I could. You know, when I was sitting down in the chair, I would try and sit on the edge of the chair, just move my legs up and down, try to move my feet as much as I could, even though I had nerve damage, I was doing whatever I could. Um, so yeah, I, I ended up walking within two weeks. And, you know, I'm proud of that. And the doctors are certainly proud of that. And all they kept saying to me was, I don't know how you've done it. I don't know how you've done it. <laughs> Uh, and I don't think they really listened to me when I told them. One of the big things about uh, spiritualism that really pops into my mind is early last year, before the the COVID pandemic really exploded over here in England. So I believe it was January. I think it was January. Yeah. January 2020, um, I went out with my wife, um, my family. Actually, my son had a play date in um, in another town. So we all drove up there, dropped him off at the house. And then my wife and uh, my younger daughter and I just went and found a coffee shop. So we went along to a Costa Coffee. And I had a couple of bacon rolls and uh, it made me violently ill. It had nothing to do with the bacon rolls, nothing to do with Costa. I had gallstones, and I didn't know that, and it made me so ill, made me so, so ill. Anyway, I ended up um, needing the, the loo, went, stopped off somewhere for a loo after throwing up in the car a couple of times, and every time I threw up, I would pass out. So anyway, on the way home, I needed the loo, so we stopped off at a Burger King, uh, went into their, their toilet, used the toilet, and then just as I was about to leave, I started to throw up. And um, because of my back troubles, I didn't want to bend right down over this toilet. So, But there was a high bin. So I opened this bin. I started to retch over this bin. And then everything went black. Uh, I felt something smack my face. And then I opened my eyes and I was sitting on the floor. The bin was on the other side of the room. So what had happened was I had passed out, uh, landed on top of this bin. And the bin had obviously just shot out from under me and somehow I'd bounced off the wall or something with my face and and I just ended up sitting on the floor um so I ended up calling for help uh the uh, the staff come and open the door they they called an ambulance so I went to hospital anyway when I was in hospital uh, I was on my own there one evening um no one had checked my gallstones I didn't know I'd had gallstones at the time the hospital hadn't checked me. I was in um, Pembury Hospital near Tunbridge Wells. They hadn't done anything. They just kept saying, oh, we're waiting for a scan, waiting for a scan. I was there for five days and they hadn't even scanned me. Anyway, one of the evenings there, they gave me some um, some dinner. 
I'd had a, a bite to eat and things started to happen again. The nurse call button was out of reach and I was laying on the bed. I couldn't move it. I was in so much pain. It was a ridiculous pain in my stomach, in my side. And, you know, obviously gallstones now, you know, I know that now. I didn't know that then. Uh, I didn't know what was happening. And uh, <laughs> I was just in so much pain, so much pain. And uh, I shut my eyes and then I opened my eyes and I could see my mum. My mum had, had passed the year before, uh, the, the July before. And I saw my mum in the, in the room with me and it was really odd because she climbed on top of me, pretty much straddled me and then put both her hands down on my stomach, between my, you know, on my solar plexus, so between my stomach and my chest. And she was giving me healing. You know, I could feel it and I, I just knew and I could feel it. Um, I couldn't communicate with her in, in any way, but then I was in so much pain, I, I found it hard. You know, I was lucky to be seeing her. Obviously, it was her spirit, you know, giving me healing. But then um, I noticed my uncle come in to the room as well. And he had passed away maybe 10 years before that. And then I saw my auntie, who is my uncle and my mother's sister, who had passed away the year before that, the year before my mum. And she had come in. And at that point, I then saw someone else. I think it must have been my granddad. I don't know because I, um, my nan and granddad, my mother's side, passed before I was born knew a little bit what they looked like but not too much i just knew there was some other people there and they felt like family uh i I couldn't really see them too well and i knew this was all you know mediumship that was going on here and i was obviously getting healing and and it was helping the pain started to go away but then i i had this feeling you know my mum's here my auntie my uncle possible grandparents and i just thought i must have died they've come to get me they've come to take me and you know what the weird thing is um is being in that situation thinking that you've probably just died it's so weird because i was okay with it that's the weird thing maybe it's my spiritualist nature or, or what i don't know but uh, at that point i was just like well you know it's happened i can't do anything about it i must have died must have done and then as, as i started to accept that idea there was this little niggle. You know, all this is happening very fast within my mind. And that niggle suddenly turned into a don't be stupid. You have not died. If you've died, why are you still feeling all of this pain that's going on? And then I thought, oh, my God, no, I haven't died. They are all here to give me healing. And at that point, you know, I then snapped out of stupid mode, come back to the real world. And I was just thanking them. I was thanking my mums, thanking my uncle, thanking my auntie, thanking my grandpas. I'm sure as them. And I just burst into tears. I was crying and sobbing my heart out. The pain started to go. I was just crying. It was so nice to see mum again. It was so nice to see all of them. And and to know that my mum, you know, my mum, she bothered. Well, not that she bothered, but she she put herself out. And she went, I'm sure it's her, got the whole family to come and help me, you know. And she'd come along at my time of need to to help heal me you know to help me get over this pain i mean it's obvious that this was not going to kill me it's obvious now but at the time you know when i thought i'd died i thought you know i must have had a heart attack i don't know you know i've always had you know these heart issues for years but i thought at that point i clearly haven't had a heart attack i'm still alive and i was just sobbing you know and so thankful to them so thankful to mum it's so nice to see her again you know thinking about it now i just wish i could have I had, you know, I wish I was more with it and not so much in that pain.
pain that I could have had a really nice, you know, conversation and, you know, really understood more about what's going on. Because I'm sure she would, uh, she'd tell me everything. She always did. She always told me everything. So I'm sure it would be no different in spirit. No different. But, you know, that was amazing. It really was. When the pain went and I was crying, I, I shut my eyes. And I just started to um, not nod off, but just feel more at peace. And then when I opened my eyes again, you know, they'd all gone. Pain had completely subsided. And, um, you know, I felt not so much better, but not in pain. So I was happy with that. <laughs> and I, I got to a point where I could sit up and move around again. And so that was nice. But, you know, don't really know what to say. <laughs> and the first thing I did was I started telling some of my um, my medium friends. Um, messaged them and uh, messaged my brother, messaged my uh, my niece. And it was so weird because when I messaged them, they all said not similar things, but they'd all seen or heard from mum as well. It's almost as if she had tried to let them know that something was going on. I know when I told my dad about this whole thing, and my dad's always been quite sceptical, but he was, you know, totally on board with it and he told me well because my mum liked to play the piano at home she had an upright piano in the living room and I think it was that evening uh, when this was all happening he told me that the piano started making tunes you know not like proper music but a couple of keys were like going down up down up down up down up on their own around that you know the same time this was happening you know it's quite amazing it's quite amazing I'm sure my niece said that she saw mum in, in a dream and um, they spoke about something. My brother said something similar as well. I can't for the life of me remember what it was, but uh, you know, I really wish I'd, I did remember. I'll have to look back on my notes and my messages. Um, so yeah, just amazing. Now another, just on a just on a little note here, because I think we've we've kind of spoken quite a lot about that. Is a couple of other things that have happened to me within in the hospital setting is um it's the staff actually that they, they they seem to be very curious and very um open to everything i guess because they're around um not just death all day long but also life they they are really you know they're really in the thick of it with life whether it's life coming going being rescued you know proper saved uh you know near death experiences and people seeing things and um, yeah, people on um, medication as well, you know, they see things, but the, the stories that these nurses and, and staff within hospitals have is absolutely amazing. Now, you, usually when you go into a hospital, they, um, they start a bit of small talk. So what do you do? So, you know, I say to them, oh, I'm a spiritualist, you know, I work for myself, I own my own business, I'm a spiritualist medium, um, I'm also church president and blah, 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 blah. And then straight away they go, whoa. And then out come a thousand bajillion questions. And I find that I not, I think I normally, I don't know, I kind of upset them a little bit because they expect you to be a bit like a witchy sort of thing that you see on telly, you know, all a bit woo out in the dark and walking around the woods and haunted houses and, and all this. And they expect you to be like that all the time. And I said, really, what, what I do is public speaking. I said, um, you know, I, I attune to the spirit world. And, and apart from that, I'm basically a public speaker. I stand in front of people in halls and, and churches and, and I talk to them. And I said, it's not really much more to it really i said uh, do as much good as we can try and help people out and understand help them understand that life continues no matter what you know life is continuous and uh, once you give someone a, a real message of love and care from someone that they miss 
and it touches their heart. That's what makes me happy. But normally you find that the people that are asking you these questions aren't aren't happy with that. <laughs> they want you to say, oh, yeah, I did this ritual where I conjured up the devil and, and he picked up a house and threw it at a Tesco truck and and then flames come out of the ground. And But no, in reality, no, nothing of the sort. Nothing like that whatsoever. I'm a perfectly normal human being, totally down to earth. If someone comes up to me and tells me they saw a ghost, I want them to prove it to me. I won't just believe them. I want them to give me evidence. I want them to to tell me why they think it was a ghost. You know, I I want to know wow, hi, you know, where and when sort of thing. And um, yeah, I, I won't just believe them because that's that's not what I'm like. When I'm on platform and when all mediums are on platform, you tell people that you have someone there with you and you have to make them, well, not you don't make them, but you have to, I don't want to say the word convince, but really you do. You have to convince them that they are there with you. But it's not in a trickery sort of way. It's uh, in an explaining, an explanation of what the person was like and how they are you know a proper description not just of how they look but their their personality you know stories that are coming from them rather than just oh i've got your dad here and he tells me you you want to buy a new car you know that doesn't make any sense at all you know but if you say you know i've got your dad here and he tells me that he was a little bit um short and he used to get picked on when he was at school um he he had you as a teenager and you know, he worked at such and such. Uh, you used to go on holiday at somewhere at, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he used to take you to do blah. And when you were there, you would always go and get ice cream. And he would always have the vanilla and you would always have the chocolate. You know, that sort of a thing, you know, and just keep going and going and going. Until they know, you know, they know. Beyond reasonable doubt is, is the term beyond reasonable doubt that you have their dad with you and that's it you know you have to do that so when someone comes up and tells you that they've um, seen this they've done this and uh, convince me okay let's see what, what else has happened to me in hospital oh actually one of the the best things i think that had ever happened to me Apart, you know, by the way, I'm ignoring all the spirits and things that are walking around hospitals and through hospitals and outside of hospitals, because, yeah, there, there's a few. You know, I'll say that there's a few. If you speak to any nurse, they'll tell you there's a few. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's quite a few. But I mean, I'm ignoring all that because I think that's just too obvious right now. Maybe it'd be an, a, you know, a good episode in the future. I could get um, a nurse on or something. We could have a chat. But anyway, one of the best things that I that I I ever had was um, someone came into me when I had I was in a side room and they said to me there's uh, someone in the ward from the chaplaincy would you like to speak to a chaplain and uh, I went I wouldn't mind you know I'm not doing anything and I said but I don't know if they want to talk to me and they said well why is that and I said because I'm not a Christian they went oh that doesn't matter that doesn't matter so anyway this chaplain come along so you know we introduced ourselves and he said I hear you're not a Christian and I said well, no. I said, I, I was sort of raised a Christian, but I'm not a Christian now. He said, so what are you? So I said, I'm a spiritualist. And he went, oh, that's very interesting. Because normally the reaction that, that I get from people is, oh, it's the devil's work, you know, because they don't understand. But this this gentleman was was very open. And, you know, I love that about him. He was a really nice guy. I wish I could remember his name. I wish I could remember his name. It, you know, it'd be great to have him on here because he was a really good talker. Obviously, being a chaplain and, and talking to people all day, he was great. And it, it was so weird because we had so much in common. 
uh, we were talking, we were telling each other stories and uh, I wouldn't say he was trying to convince me or convert me or anything, but um, I would I would almost say that I opened his eyes. Let, let's say that, OK, because he was talking to me about um, healing. He said, uh, is healing spiritualist? stuff you know he said is that a spiritualist thing so i said yes and i and i explained it to him and and i said um the only healings that i've witnessed and had whilst at um a christian um, place which was a born again christian place i said was um people touching my shoulders and and they started going la 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 with, with their tongues trying to pretend that they were talking in tongues and i said um there's no way that was real. I said, because they were just, you know, talking gibberish. And I said, and I couldn't feel any healing. I said, it was just as if they were playing a role. And he said, that's quite interesting. He said, now I've spoken in tongues. And I went, oh, really? I said, um, so what happened there? He And he told me that he went along to, to visit this young girl. Um, I think it was a friend of his mum's or something. And there was this young girl who was very ill. And he said he went in to see her. And this was somewhere near London Let, let's say it's somewhere like Croydon somewhere like that but he said that he went in to see her and he placed hands on her and he said as soon as he touched her and he started to pray he said he started speaking um Russian he said um everyone was listening and he said even he could hear it that he was speaking fluent Russian and he said now bear in mind I can't speak Russian and I went oh okay and he said, um, and it turns out that um, the young girl's grandmother uh, was from Russia. The family uh, emigrated years ago. And I went, okay. And I said, um, you, you think that's talking in tongues? And he said, yeah. I said, uh, we've got another name for that. And he said, oh, what's that? And I said, um, well, there's trance healing. Trance. Trance work. So he asked what that was. So I explained to him that um, you go into like an altered state of consciousness and you allow spirit to take some control. You hand over a little bit of control to the spirit and they can either talk, they can do actions and and they can provide healing and, and things like this to people. And I think that kind of rocked his world a bit. And he looked a bit stunned as if to say... This is, you know, he's telling me exactly what I did. You know, you could you could see it on his face. Um, and in, in some ways, I, I, I don't really know how to explain how I feel about that. Have I upset this man's religion? I really hope I haven't. You know, I hope I haven't. Because he's clearly doing so much good with his life. He said that he used to um, run his own chapel. Uh, he's also looked after chapels and churches, uh, being the caretaker and things like this. He's, um, He said it, he's done many, many sermons and he's done chaplaincy for years as well, helping people out. And I really don't want to have upset that because he's clearly doing a lot of good for people. It was just really nice, um, I'd say half an hour to an hour chatting with, with this guy. Because he would tell me these little stories and then I would tell him, the spiritualist equivalent and then i would um answer a question of his about spiritualism and then he would tell me like a christian um equivalent as well uh, it was just so nice you know it was really refreshing to have this sort of conversation and i would love to get someone on to do the same thing on the podcast you know because it, it was just so interesting so anyway i think that's probably enough for today because i've just noticed recording has gone up 
quite a lot of minutes here we're heading towards an hour so i've got to edit this down a bit take out all my ums uhs and and my well anyways because there's quite a few of those so i will leave it there and i will post both of these podcasts the previous one uh, that i actually recorded before i went into hospital uh, as well as this one probably at the same time so i'll get them both edited put them both up i don't know why i'm saying that because if you're listening to it it means i've already done it Okay then, well, talk to you next time. Bye.